Well, it's great to worship with you tonight. I don't think I've ever heard you guys sing that loud. So I'm like really impressed. Thank you for making worship ring out. There's something powerful when we make a big deal about Jesus. Now, if you've got a copy of your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Daniel chapter 5. If you don't know where the book of Daniel is, it's right in the middle of your Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can probably find it on your phone, but we'll have it on the screens uh, to kind of walk through this passage together. Uh, but before we get there, uh, one of my favorite movies uh, is The Usual Suspects. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that movie. It's kind of oldie, but a goodie. Uh, and uh, by the way, I just full disclaimer, it's got stuff in there that's not like church approved. But in it, there's a line, uh, safe space, right? Uh, <laughs> but in it, there's a line that's always really stuck with me. Uh, one of the actors says, the greatest trick that devil ever pulled was to convince the world that he was not real. And I've always thought that's like a powerful statement that many of us live without a good understanding that there are spiritual forces at play all around us. But I think that uh, Kaiser Soze, who says that phrase, uh, was not um, fully accurate in his theology. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a much better theologian, said something similar. And he said this, he said, Satan does not fill us with a hatred of God, but with a forgetfulness of God. Let me say that again. Satan doesn't fill us with a hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. And what he's trying to get at there is he's saying that often we can forget God. God can seem less real to us as we go through our everyday life. And that is a danger to us. It's a danger to us. You see, one of the most difficult things for us as Christians is that God is invisible. We can't see him. And the reason for that is because our sin separates us from him. If we were to see him face to face, we would cease to exist. That's what the Bible teaches us. That if we were uh, to be face to face with him, we would disintegrate because of our lack of holiness. And yet, because of that, we can live through our life with a forgetfulness of God. We can forget who he is. And every once in a while, the reality of what God has created in the world can surprise us. I remember when I was in college, I went home to Columbia, South America, where my parents were missionaries, to serve um, alongside my family. And I had a mentor there. His name was Norberto. He's got this crazy story that I'll tell you some other time. Uh, I don't have time for that right now. But let's kind of just, just say this here. Uh, at one point, he was the number three guy in the mafia. So he was like a big time, like mafia guy. But God saved him and God brought him to a place where he became a pastor. It's this incredible story of God's uh, salvation uh, in his life. And because of his story, he had an incredible faith, still does. He's probably the greatest soul winner I've ever met. He just would lead people to Christ over and over again. And one day he said, hey, man, I want you to come with me. We are going to go meet with this family. They've told us that there's unusual activity in their house when with uh, the wife. It seems that someone has, has cast a spell on them. And we don't really know if that's like a real thing or not, but like we're just going to go and pray over them and share the gospel with them. And so we got in the car and drove to a place in the city I'd never been to before to people I never met and sat down with them. And that day I got a peek into just a little bit of a different world than the one I normally operate in. See, here's the deal in Nashville, Tennessee, man, it can seem like God is invisible. But that day, as we shared the gospel with this lady, we found ourselves encountering 
a demonic presence. Uh, my friend Norberto started sharing the gospel with her, and uh, she couldn't really read the scriptures as he was reading them to her. He'd kind of ask her to read a passage of scripture. She would not say it right. And finally, he said, you know, I think this moment uh, has come for us just to pray. And as he began to pray over her, uh, her eyes rolled back into her head and she began to scream. She went into this crazy trance and lost consciousness as she simply heard him say the name of Jesus. And I don't know what you do. I know what I did. I started praying with all my heart. I was like, Holy Spirit, come upon us. Like I had never seen anything like that. Where at the name of Jesus, someone absolutely lose their mind and pass out screaming at the top of their lungs. And tonight what I want to talk about is I want to talk about making God visible in our everyday life and the dangers when we forget what the truth of Scripture tells us about the world. Because often we can live our life as practical atheists and we sideline God and we don't live out what God has called us to do. We don't live out of the identity of who he said that we are. And God has so much more for us than that. And the story we're looking at here is not quite as dramatic and yet it is a good uh, way for us to understand what God is really doing in the world and how we can live out our calling as his people to make God visible in the world. So look with me in Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. It says this. King Belshazzar held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine in their presence. Under the influence of the wine, Belshazzar gave orders to bring in the gold and silver vessels that his predecessor Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, wives, and concubines could drink from them. So they brought in the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, wives, and concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised their gods made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And at that moment, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the king's palace wall next to the lampstand. And as the king watched the hand that was writing, his face turned pale and his thoughts so terrified him that he soiled himself and his knees knocked together. Now, our story starts here. And for many of us, we don't have a lot of context into what's happening here. You may have heard this story before. This is the story that gives us the phrase, the writing was on the wall. Right? Because literally a hand shows up and writes on a wall. And it signifies the, the ending of the Babylonian Empire. But a little bit of background helps us understand what's going on in this story. We've been studying the story of Daniel as he comes out of exile and enters into the place that God has sent him to, which is Babylon. And Daniel, when he gets there, is stripped of all of his identity as a young Jewish man. He's he loses his name. He loses his family. He loses his heritage. But he says, I will not lose my identity as God's son and chooses to be different. And we saw that our first week in this series. He says, listen, I'm not going to defile myself with the king's food. But now years have passed. And Daniel is now an old man. And there's a new king, a man named Belshazzar. 
And yet Daniel has left a legacy because at one point he interpreted a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king the world had seen. And the dream was that the kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar had founded was going to end. There was going to be a new empire that was going to rise up, the Persians, and they were going to take over. And that moment is now. You see, the king in this story, Belshazzar, throws a feast for a thousand of his leaders because there's an enemy at the gate outside of his city, Babylon, which is in modern-day Iraq. There is a huge army full of people looking to take over the city. And yet, because he's showing his strength and he's showing that he alone can keep the kingdom together, he throws this party and he gets out of hand because as he's having the party, he decides he's going to bring in elements of God's worship that were stored in the storehouse and make them part of the celebration. So he tells his servants to go and take God's worship instruments, which were vessels, plates and bowls and lampstands that were set aside only for God's worship. And he tells his nobles and his wives and his concubines to drink from them. And you don't have to read between the lines too much to know that what's breaking out here is, a, is an orgy. This celebration is no longer simply just a, a moment where they get to proclaim their defiance against the enemy. They're actually uh, creating an environment where things are going to get out of hand. And as this moment begins to unfold, God becomes visible. A hand appears and begins to write on a wall. They can't see anything else but this hand, simply a hand, which is freaky, right? <laughs> this hand begins to write and it writes four words that no one can read. The words are mene, mene, tekel, Parson, and they don't even know how to read them. They simply see that there are four words on the wall. And the king is so afraid that all of a sudden he's stone cold sober. Like he's like, I am no longer drunk. What is happening? And he calls for his leaders to go find out what it says. And no one can tell him what it says except for one man, Daniel. This king, his, his grandmother... Nebuchadnezzar's wife is still living. And she says, there's one man who can interpret this. His name is Daniel. He served your grandfather well. And you need to bring him out of retirement for this moment. So they bring him out. And Daniel tells him that no one can interpret it except for someone that God has sent. But lucky for the king, Daniel can do that. And this is what Daniel says to him. This is kind of like the key of where we're going we're, we're to be sitting tonight. If you guys want to turn the page to verse 22. Daniel says to the king that the king has forgotten God. God has become invisible to him. And he's forgotten the lessons that God has taught Nebuchadnezzar through the fiery furnace and through the dream. And even for Nebuchadnezzar's own life, where Nebuchadnezzar goes absolutely crazy for a period of seven years, so that God could show him that the only true God is the God of heaven, the God of Israel. But verse 22, Daniel begins to speak specifically to Belshazzar. This is what he says. He says, but you, his successor, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of the heavens. The vessels from his house were brought to you. And as you and your wives 
Nobles and concubines drank wine from them. You praise the gods made of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or understand. But you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand and controls the whole course of your life. Therefore, God sent the hand, and this writing was inscribed. So what Daniel does is he says, here's the deal. God has chosen to remove the kingdom from you. These four words, mene, mene, tekel, parson, ultimately mean that God has judged you and you've been found wanting. The word mene signifies that his evil rule would be over. The word tekel means that he was weighed on the scales of God's judgment. And the word parson means that the kingdom would be divided and torn from him. And history tells us that that night that happened. The king of Persia came up with a great plan. He decided to divert the river that ran through the city. And miles upstream, he built a dam, diverted the water. And in the middle of the night, while they're throwing that party, while the hand is writing on the wall, the water begins to recede. And the soldiers sneak in underneath the gates and conquer the city without a battle. Now, when you think about this story, like many stories in the Bible, sometimes we look at them in the Old Testament and go like, what am I supposed to do with that in Nashville? You may be asking the question, Mike, why would you take so much time to talk about this? And why would you take so much time to like talk about this ancient king and a hand that was writing on a wall, four words that we don't really know? Like, why would you take the time to talk about that? And the reason for that is this, Belshazzar, Take something that was made to worship God and uses it for unholy activity. He treats God's worship casually and worships an idol with something that was made to worship God. Which to me brings me to a question that I want to ask you. And the question is this, and I want you to sit in this question because it's been wrecking me all week. The question is this, what are we treating casually that God has set aside for worship? What are we, you and I, our generation, what are we treating casually that God has set aside for himself. You see, we're a lot like Belshazzar. There are things that God has given us that we treat casually, that God has said, this is for me and my worship. I want to make myself known and glorified through your life. And often we treat it very casually. So I didn't want you to hear this tonight. If you don't hear anything else, don't waste your worship. Don't waste your worship. You are made to worship. That's what God has created you to do. He's created you to be a worshiper. Don't waste it on anything that's not worth worshiping. Don't worship success, money, power, fame, and identity outside of Jesus. Worship Jesus Christ alone. Jesus has created you to be a human vessel, not a metal 
vase or, or bowl to worship God with. He's created you. That's his plan. He wants you to be a worshiper. He wants you to be a temple. But so often, y'all, we don't treat our bodies and our lives like temples of the Holy Spirit, which is what the Bible calls us. He, we use our bodies as amusement parks instead, seeking to satisfy ourselves with things that do not satisfy. And Jesus has so much more for you than that. And I think part of the reasons we don't do that is because we don't know if God will actually give us the desires of our heart. We don't know if he has enough to give us to really satisfy us. And so we doubt his goodness, or we doubt his presence, or we doubt his reality. God becomes very dim when we look at our idols and we forget him. He becomes invisible to us. My kids right now, their favorite word, I have four kids, three girls and a little boy. Uh, my three oldest, the boy can't talk yet. He's only nine months old. He can say da. So we hope, I'm, I'm, I'm claiming it already. He's saying dad first. Like it's kind of like bragging rights, my family, right? Um, but my three older, older ones, their favorite word is dad, I want this. That's like their favorite thing to say, okay? And uh, uh, it, I don't want to out them too much, but like it's hard sometimes when birthdays come up and they keep asking for stuff. And uh, my oldest, has discovered Lululemon and she wants it. And I, I just can't, I, I can't even, okay? Like I can't, I can't, I can't get with this. Like it's a great brand, but like for a 10 year old buying something that she will not be able to wear in like a month is like really hard, especially when it's like $130 for a pair of pants, okay? So like we continue to say to her over and over again, like, hey, we can't afford that. Like we can't buy you an entire out, like, whole outfit full of Lululemon, much less an entire like, wardrobe because you're going to be out of those clothes really soon because you're just sprouting up. You're just, just growing really fast. And we found ourselves as a family over and over again telling our kids, hey, we can't afford that. We can't afford that. We can't afford that. We can't afford that. And all of a sudden, our kids started asking the question, dad, are we poor? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, we kind of are. We have four kids, okay? Uh, we ain't driving like any brand new cars around here, right? We're, I'm on a ministry budget. Like this is, like we're not rich, okay? Uh, I, never, I never thought I'd get to a place where I'm like making more money than I ever made in my life and I'm broke all the time. Like that's literally what it means to be a parent, okay? And so this is where we are. And I had to repent of the way that we were speaking to our children because all they were hearing from us was like, we can't. And it was forming their minds a vision of like what they were worth. And we had to come together, my wife and I, we have to say like, you know what? We need to start thinking about the way that we talk about money because we are blessed. And God is a God who has provided for us. And we have everything we need. And we have to be careful not to tell our children that we can't because God is a provider and he gives good gifts and we should model that. Now, we ain't buying Lululemon for Christmas. I guarantee you that, right? Um, maybe a grandparent will break down. They'll hear this message and be like, all right, we're going to drop some money on that. But I want to be very clear with you. Sometimes we doubt that God can and wants to be for us. So we settle for other things and we feel like he's not really there. 
And we have a view of him that he's too poor to care for us. And maybe we need to repent of that. Because our God has the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the universe and he knows what we need. He knows our needs, not just financial. He knows our emotional needs. He knows what we need. He knows that we need to be loved and cared for. He knows that we need community. He knows that we need to be seen. And God does see us and he does know us. So don't subject your body or your life or your heart to worshiping anything that can't satisfy it like God can. The second place I think that we waste our worship is not only with our life and our, and our heart, I think we, we waste our worship sometimes in our worship services. You know, I'm a pastor, so I'm really good at evaluating things, specifically worship services. Like, I'm like, oh, they were off key there. Oh, that, that click was off. Uh, that person's like thinking about something else. Oh, you know, like the environment. I think about all that stuff. And I think Nashville, one of our sins as a city is that we are constantly looking at performance. Like we're all good. In fact, when I talk to musicians, one of the things that's so hard for them when they lead worship is that they know everybody in the room can play and was the biggest deal in their hometown, right? And yet, as a community, my desire is that we would be people who are known by our desire to worship God, that we live out that worship culture, that it becomes a defining thing about Kairos. And then we move from being people who are worship watchers to being worship leaders. Y'all, it's really easy to be a worship watcher. Like, I'm watching you worship. I'm watching the people around me worship. Oh, that guy's worshiping. That's cool. That guy worships weird. Okay, I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna watch him for a minute. It's easy to be a worship watcher. But one of the greatest sins that we can, we can enter into is simply a sin of comparison. And God, I believe, is looking for worshipers. That's what the Bible tells us. In fact, the person that God said, this is the man after my own heart, was King David. And it wasn't because King David was a great warrior who, slew, who was able to slay giants. And it wasn't because he was a good king, because he was a mess. The reason why God said, this is the man after my own heart, is because David understood that God was looking for worshipers. And one of the most defining moments in his life was when he brought the ark into the city. Homeboy was throwing down. Okay, like he was dancing so much, his shirt came off. And God's like, that's the kind of person that I want to build my kingdom off of. Someone that loves me with everything that they've got. So Kairos, would you help me? I can't do this for you. Would you help me be a group of people who are worship leaders? Leadership starts with leading yourself. And the worship leaders are not the ones on this stage. It's the ones who are out here. It's you. So be a worship leader. You don't have to be a good singer. Thank God, because I am terrible at singing. My running joke with people is like, hey, if you don't watch out, I'm going to sing the song. And I'm going to get on stage. And I'm going to join the band. I'm ready anytime you want me to. And let me just tell you, I have probably the worst singing voice in this room. And yet I'm so glad that God doesn't care. 
I can worship lead from the front row. And I felt God convicting me of that last week. In fact, I was like, was sitting in the back and God said, get out of the back and come to the front. Why? Because I want to meet with you. So where are we wasting our worship? Where are we treating God's worship casually? I believe if we answer that question well, we'll be the kind of people that God wants to use because God wants to use us and he wants to use us for his glory. And here's the good news is that that's not dependent on you and how well you strive for his favor. It's dependent on Jesus Christ and what he speaks over you. There's a reason why God used Daniel to speak truth to power. It's because he had decided to be all in in following Jesus. And you can do that tonight. It doesn't take anything other than saying, God, I want to please you with my life. I love what um, our baptism was all about earlier. I love what Rachel said. She said, I'm all in. I hope that that can be said of me. Man, I hope that can be said of you. We are all in for Jesus. So the question we're going to leave you with tonight is this. It's the question that uh, we are going to have as our time of 120 seconds. If you're new to Kairos, this is something we do around here regularly, that we take time just to sit in what the message uh, has been all about. And the question I want you to wrestle with as we just take some time to sit and worship is this. Where am I wasting my worship? Where am I wasting my worship? You know, the word that God's been speaking over my heart for the last couple of weeks and the word he's been speaking in my heart today is out of Psalm 86, uh, verse 11, which says this. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Man, I'm telling you, there's so much stuff that's out there that tries to just divide my heart from the Lord, and I start wasting my worship. But God wants me to trust him with all of my heart. So would you just sit in that as we take this moment just to respond to what the word of God is speaking to us? Let me pray for us. Jesus, you've said that you're looking for worshipers. You said that you someday will fill heaven with them. From every tribe, tongue, nation, and language, that's the picture we get of heaven. So God, would you make what is in heaven right now here on earth? Would you, would you come and create for yourself a people who long to worship your name? That on Tuesday nights, that we would be a place where people find a refreshing experience with you, Jesus. But it starts with a question. Where am I wasting my worship? Am I worshiping my image, my relationships? worshiping the affirmation of my peers and my chasing experiences or am 
my chasing Jesus.